0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week we are going to be looking at the dangers and perils for investors of trading headline to headline. So how can you black out uh, those salacious, overhyped headlines that make you feel really depressed and really muddy the waters and focus on a litmus test that's gonna help you make sure that your money is invested in the best possible way it can be, and that is in companies and businesses that are gonna play a bigger role in the future as opposed to companies of yesteryear. Hope you enjoy the show, see you in the broadcast. Hey guys and welcome to this episode of the Money and Investing Show with me your host Andrew Baxter and as always my faithful companion and outsider Mr. Mitchell-Renshaw. Thank you Mr. Baxter and as faithful
1: as I am I'm gonna get a little bit dangerous today because I want to talk about a mistake that a lot of traders are making and one that we always deal with and that is the notion of trading headline
0: to headline. Oh my goodness me that's an interesting one isn't it the effect that media news or fake news might have on people's investor decisions. Well, it's crazy, I mean, especially with
1: this whole coronavirus thing going on at the moment, so many headlines out there, the market's going to crash, there's a second leg down, you know, mm. boom, bang, there's everything coming at you. Mm. How do you sift through it and
0: what do you do? How long have we got for this one? <laughs> 24 <laughs> this, hours. This week it spent an awful lot of time on, but I'll try and be succinct on this. So. The key thing with headline-to-headline trading is it doesn't typically work because news headlines, yeah, is it the tail wagging the dog or the dog wagging the tail? And more often than not, they're retrospective. If we take recently the start of the coronavirus outbreak. Um, you know, from reading the headlines, looking back seven or eight weeks ago, you'd think there'd be piles of dead bodies on the sides of the street everywhere. As the Spanish flu slash bubonic plague slash Ebola. Took over the world, and it really hasn't been like that. And you know, quite often, uh, you know, media headlines are there for a reason, and it's to draw you into the story, sell advertising space, or a product, and, and that's the job done. But they can have such a powerful influence on people's psychology as well. Um, you know, go back a month or two ago, it was doom and gloom, and okay, look, we're not looking through rose-colored spectacles. We're in for some fairly challenging times ahead in the economy. But nonetheless, um, that that huge wave of negative storyline uh, really kicked into people and damaged their sentiment and, and, and was really crippled the economy. It's interesting that you say that these news
1: articles are used to draw people in for the story. Yeah. But you, we, you and I both know that you can't trade on stories, you need to trade on logic and you know process. So what I want to go through first is what are the dangers of actually trading headline to headline? In your experience, what mm-hmm. can
0: happen? I think you're there late. Headlines uh, are normally a reflection of what's happened and and, and they might then put out a big, this is what we expect to happen. We'll talk a bit about forecasting, I'm sure, in a few moments time. But they can draw your attention to the wrong things. That might be the, 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 the mainstream view but investing isn't always about following the mainstream view now be careful on this because markets and and sentiment is very much driven by that weight of money can be but at the same time all the way through this crisis we've saw uh, we've seen huge institutional flows of money going in the market and these guys aren't trading headline to headline they're looking on a value basis or on a quants basis to pick up opportunities uh to get into very very good quality businesses at cents in the dollar in some instances so yeah you know, whereas your average retail investor uh, is is really getting battered around by that uh, making all the wrong decisions at the wrong time it's time to sell well the market's down 25 percent. so probably isn't time to sell that was maybe no. a week or so ago uh, and so on so yeah it does become very very challenging so you've got to be And and I say this candidly as someone that's a news addict. I mean, any time you come into my office, you always see some form of news on my screens because that's just my personality. I like to know what's going on and and, and see its impact on markets. But I think you've got to be rather selective on the type of news that you're looking at and and, and particularly not just the news, but who's written it and why they've written it. Sure. Um, Are they just looking to get some cheap uh, social media coverage uh, are they someone that um, tends to bask in being controversial, or are they someone that's really got track record behind them? And there are people when they do speak and make a statement that you do want to listen to because they've got substantial track record behind them. You know, and know yeah, if I look into um, you know some of the major, Ray Dalio would be a very very good example of that. Anyone that's read the book Principles, Bridgewater Capital founder, you know, when that guy speaks, you'd be a fool not to listen sure. because he's seen and done everything. So you know, if somebody like that has come out with a story, then I'd probably listen. To it but some of the other garbage that's out there is, is crazy is, is, is terrifying and its impact on people has been catastrophic okay so you know with
1: that there's obviously good news and bad news mm. as you know there's a difference between trading a headline and trading what's actually going on yep. what I'm kind of sensing is that this is more angled towards knowing what's going on and the fundamentals behind these businesses and how they intertwine and connect
0: absolutely I'll, I'll give you one really good current example and on uh, Monday morning I put on uh, looking at my phone what's the big headline and there's an expert that's running an event this weekend as a matter of fact that's talking about you know we're on track for a recession it's going to be doom and gloom since 2023 and this guy is the expert at picking uh you know pullbacks in the markets no one used names unless we've spoken alongside this guy a couple of times um and i thought well, that's interesting so this is someone that's been calling for a correction in markets and i'm sure he'll probably be doing a lap of honor saying i called this i told you what was going to happen why didn't you follow me but he's been calling it since 2013. for For seven years seven years so even a broken watch is right twice a day (laughs) right so and i actually went through my email someone's distribution list so it was actually march 2013 and he said the Dow is going to fall to 6,000 points at the time, it was about 15,100, 15,200. Um, it's going to fall to 6,000 points and thereafter is going to fall to 3,000 points. Live in fear, buy some tuna fish, load up on gold, get in a bunker, uh, you know, say goodbye to your relatives and, and, and become a recluse. Wow. Now, we've seen since then the Dow has actually enjoyed the biggest bull market run in its history right the way through to 2020, just coming a fraction short of 30,000 points. So it's, it's almost doubled in that time. And anyone that followed the advice of it's going to 6,000 and has been out of the market has missed out on number one, doubling their money. Now, of course, I say, well, yeah, we've had the pullback, which I caught. Maybe there was the pullback that you caught, but given the recovery of markets that we've subsequently seen, anyone that stayed in the Dow for March 2013 through Corona and the recovery is still up over 60%. They had their best market in 33 years over in the US. So, you know, sometimes following uh, the doomsday prophecies, this is all going to end badly, can be incredibly expensive. And that's something that's live and being marketed right now. And I've got no extra ground on this. I've spoken alongside this person a number of times. They're really smart. Been dinner a couple of times. A really, really smart person. Sure. But those headlines can really have uh, an impact on what investors do. So let's move away from the flakiness of headlines and maybe get into some nuts and bolts that can help out. The, the real drivers. Yeah. What are the real drivers? The real drivers in markets, obviously, sentiment is one thing, uh, uh, and the other is timing of that sentiment, you know, that tap turning on and off in terms of money buying in and money selling out. Never sure. mind, you've got to have a buyer and seller, of course, but that press right away. So what I try and explain this to people that know nothing of markets, if you if you can imagine an elastic band and it's anchored to a nail that's driven into a plank, now you can the, the sentiment will pull that elastic band up or it will pull it down and prices will respond to that sentiment in just the okay. same way. So it's the, the, the short term price action invariably is a reflection of sentiment in the market. And if we look at our own trading strategies over the last few months, and look, we've had some great success uh, as, as people well know, um, because the market has been very volatile, we brought our trading window in from being sort of midterm and we normally trade a, a typical window of you know, four to six weeks. That's a normal sure. groundwater type trade. Into days because the market was so volatile, it was almost impossible to call what was going to happen the next day because markets were so volatile. So, we're very, very short term. And from an analysis point of view, Mitch, when you when you do your analysis, and this is a really good visual for anybody that's new to markets to think about. If you if you think about analysing a stock, if you can imagine a seesaw, if you're someone that's into very, very short term trading i.e. You know, under two or three or four days, okay. all of your focus is gonna be on technical analysis because the timing on a short-term trade is crucial. Sure. So if you're into Forex or you're a swing trader or you're a day trader, everything is gonna be loaded down to the technical analysis stage because timing is crucial. If you're a value investor and you're just looking to buy something and tuck it away for the next 20 years, well, the fundamentals are very, very important and the technicals are almost immaterial. Right. Now, in the middle of that seesaw is where we sit. Four to six weeks, we use technicals, we use fundamentals, and we also use quants. Okay. But like during this market turmoil, we had to skinny the knot right down and be much more focused on technicals because timing was more important. But as you all well know, with the way that we're putting our recommendations and our trades right now, we've gone from having a, a one-day view to a one-week view, we're back to sort of almost sort of- 10 12 days. Yeah, yeah sort of that sort of two-week window now. So all of a sudden, the technicals are still very important, but there are other factors that are starting to bleed in there, principally in our case, quants, but fundamentals becoming even more so. And so, as an investor or a trader, I think if you're making decisions, you've got to understand that the tool you're using has to fit the circumstance in which you're working on. Now, you know, if you if you if you're doing some repairs at home, and I know you don't really do too much of that, but as you know, <laughs> not a handyman. As you know, since I've owned my farm, I've tried to become Mr. Self-Sufficient, right. and I still have all my fingers, which is amazing. Um, yeah, and if you've got a socket set, uh, socket set, a wrench, or something like that, and It's an old one, and you've got a metric nut, and you're trying to use an imperial, it doesn't work. It's not the right tool to get a grip on what you're trying to do, and vice versa if you're using a a, a metric to imperial. So, you need tools to do both. And my socket set happens to do that, right? (laughs) So, trading and investing is exactly the same. You've got to make sure that the tool you're using isn't always the same tool because the conditions will change so you know you may be a devout fundamentalist in terms of your trading decisions but right now technicals are going to be fairly important because that sure. market timing is key. And I totally
1: agree with that you have to use the right tool mm. for what's going on but how do you sift through what's going on in you know the broad market you know trading headlines a headline is a trap but what headlines do you, should you focus on because you need to know what's going on so you can decide on what tool you need right?
0: I think Trying to find a quality news source is is key, and contrary to what you might hear out of the White House, CNN may or may not be, or Fox News might (laughs) not be the the place, but yeah, we've got some good places we go to. Seeking Alpha for the US market is a terrific uh, site for that kind of information. Uh, Yahoo Finance can carry some reasonable stuff as well. Bloomberg, um, they typically um, are more, I'm not gonna say, I've just said it, but highbrow, that's a little offensive to people to say that, but they tend to be written more for people that are more professional in the marketplace. And as a consequence the sort of depth is a little bit deeper it's like a sunday newspaper versus the the midweek rag that you can have a flick through you right. know, There's the full article in there so in that regard getting a hold of that sort of thing can be can be quite handy um but i think more than ever um for self-directed investors that are looking to construct a portfolio or manage their portfolio staying away from headlines um and building your own narrative is incredibly important and that probably sounds quite conceited so if i explain one of the things that we've been schooling our clients on is is something called the litmus test. Now, you remember measuring Ooh. acidity and alkalinity in chemistry at school, right? Okay, yeah. New chemistry? I didn't do chemistry. No. I was more of finance. Legal, physics, I chemistry. Yeah. I <laughs> that strength, right? um, So that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, A nerd. Yeah, maybe. Sporty nerd with charismatic, charm, personality, with sense of humor. Moving on. Litmus test, Right. modest. Litmus test, like measuring what things are, where they're at, uh, and and, and what their view is. And one of the big ones I've been trying to uh, really get through to people of late is to ask yourself the litmus test question of, do you see this particular company being more or less relevant in the future economy? And that's a really simple one, so you don't need a bachelor in finance. This is something that everyday people can really sit down and look at. And, and, and we can go through some examples of that, too, just to put some meat on the bone, sure. to, to avoid the perils and traps of other people's headlines and the story they're pursuing to creating your own and having some level of comfort in it. So if, if we take a look at an example of a business like Flight Centre. Oh, wow. Now, Flight Centre has a, had its day. It's been a great business. It's a Graham Turner, fantastic businessman. But the key question, particularly in the post-coronavirus environment, we've got to ask is, you know, what's the relevancy of a business-like flight centre going forward. People walking around and turning up to a shop and actually mm. talking to someone. Yeah. It's pretty obsolete these days. It is, I mean, if I look at my local shopping centre, the flight centre there is closed. Uh, they've relocated, real center there were really nice people in there, but that's, that's, that's the place that they've taken themselves in terms of their business, and that's walking traffic in a shopping centre where you've got to pay rent, you've got to have staff there, and some days you're going to have more staff than you need because you don't know what your foot traffic is like. Um, and in an industry where, number one, people aren't traveling right now, and when they do resume traveling, they're probably gonna be a little bit more tentative. And number three, the target demographic for the flight center would probably be older people that are less comfortable booking online. Sure. And are far less likely to want to be traveling in the future if they're vulnerable to COVID-19. Is there a comparable company that's on the other end of the scale? Look, there is. If you take an example of a business like Kayak, for example. Now, I mean, I I travel an awful lot, and i found over the time, um, when I was doing my own booking, Uh, type stuff um, the kayak enabled enable me to have the kind of tools you have at a travel agent whereby, okay, I can pick and choose the airline I want to fly with, that's obvious. Uh, I can choose my landing or, uh, or, or, or take-off times. I can choose the number of stops that I want to have, uh, where I want to stop through if it's a longer haul flight and so on and so forth, and change the class, change the number of people, traveling, everything you want to do that you'd expect at literally your fingertips and then it just scours the globe and there's the best price for what you want, but invariably... It is. Uh, and it's a, it's a terrific, they're called aggregating science, and it's a terrific business in that regard. And more and more people will gravitate toward that, um, A, because fewer and fewer people want to go to a physical travel agent, and, and B, it's the convenience of being able to transact online in a safer online environment. So there's there's a, a really good fights Flight Center, so bigger or smaller part of the future economy. I think you probably have to say smaller. I wonder all the pilot's gonna do when he's made redundant. Um, so um, that, that, that's one example. And then if we look more broadly, um, when you're constructing an investment portfolio, quite often the kinds of stocks, uh, and I've seen this a lot when we've had um, high net worth clients come through the door. And one of the services that we provide for all our clients when they come into something is called a portfolio sprinkling, where we'll take a look at what you've got and say, great, get more, probably use that as a tax deduction this year or, or everything and anything that's in between. And and typically if you get a a more established portfolio, there are a lot of legacy stocks in there that were put in there and they've maybe held them for five or 10 years because they've been either a good dividend yield stock or 10 years ago, there was a good story around that business. What kind of companies suit that? Well, if we talk about from a dividend point of view, banks would be a classic, wherever it's right. got. And, and look, if you're a retired investor or you're looking for dividend, you, the banks in Australia have been a no-brainer. But obviously, since they've cut their dividend, we covered this a couple of podcasts ago. You know, now cut their dividend by fifty-one percent, I think, and the share prices have obviously been crippled. That story is kind of over. So the fundamental reason for having them, that doesn't mean to say they're not going to be a bigger role in the future either. So there's a, this isn't saying wash banks out of your portfolio we're trading them right now. We, we are, we've nice all banks in our active right? trade so, so, So we've got a very very focused position on that for a very specific reason but we're not talking about the next five to ten years, no. we're talking about the next five to ten five, days. 10 days right? So you know that's one example, another example would be AMP, you know you go back 10 years ago and the stock was probably around about 12 bucks and now it's a dollar 50. That's crazy. Yeah and it's been held in there for that reason and, and, and that whole conglomerated financial planning distribution investment manager that's run the wrath and the gauntlet of the royal commission I don't see that business having a future in the Australian economy. I think it'll get taken over at some point, recapitalized, rebranded, and move forward. So, But we see those kind of legacy stocks come in. If we look at the US market, for example, sure. that's probably a, a better example. Um, you know, you'll see people that have got stocks like General Electric. Uh, old school. Old school, absolutely. And, and 3M, Minnesota Mining and Mineral. Now, if we think about General Electric, a lot of people think, oh, Jack Welsh, without question, one of the best single CEOs in, History. And he probably is. But since he left, um, yeah, the, 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 the geez, business has all but imploded insofar as you know, it became a behemoth conglomerate that had interests in everything. Um, and, and slowly those businesses are being unwound due to gearing, debt, less relevancy of those businesses still a the big business. But the sure. share price reflects that and if bring up a chart on it, you'll see. You know, the downtrend, more than a downtrend, like quite the quite the nosedive. So, yeah, you know, holding legacy stocks like that—you remember the two big Dow Jones stocks. Now, if you compare that to some of the stocks I'm about to mention. 20 years ago, these stocks didn't even exist. Sure. Okay, so let's let's move it forward and go, okay, why would you hold those just on a historical basis? Macy's, the department store, another example of this. Um, you know, we could use the same examples in Australia with Maya. Um, you know, what is the future relevance of department stores? Do people still want to go? And I know that lots of people do, but not enough. No. And, and again, you've got a business rather like Flight Center where you've got huge overhead, lots of rent, lots of staff, Sometimes staff are busy, some they're not, Um, and and, and the lack of foot traffic at the moment has all but killed those businesses. Then you've got to store your stock somewhere within this building that you're paying enormous rent per square meter on. Very, very hard to do. How much stock do you have? If you run out, your customers get cranky. Certainly, there are lots of flaws in that model, which again is why department stores like Macy's, or Meijer, or JCPenney, or Newman Marcus, these all in America, by the way, are filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy protection because that's how tough it's Wow, okay. Them. Okay, and that's a good sign of what's going on. Now, if you flip that over and look at companies that, that are very clean and are likely to play a bigger part in the future, they typically are quite niche or very, very focused on what they do. So if we talk about retail, whilst um, the likes of Maya or Macy's have been getting flogged, stocks like Lululemon, have been going through the roof. It's $450 now. I mean it's just nuts the journey that that stock has had over just the last six weeks, let alone over the last five years. Sure. And again, it's a business that's got a very strong branding and reputation, a very clear direction in terms of what it does. So it's future relevancy. You go in there, you know what you're getting, whereas if you go into some other businesses, what you're going to get is kind of out of date. on the other side of the coin, in terms of some tech companies, and again, this isn't to beat the drum about you should only be in technology companies because that's not what this is about either. But if you look at companies like uh, Netflix, for example, sure and it's been a perfect, great company, perfect business in the uh, in the coronavirus world that we're in. Um, yeah, you know, subscribers going through four hundred fifty dollars a share. Yeah, you know, it's just been crackers in terms of what it's done. Subscribers, fifteen million new subscribers last quarter. And then there's the amount of content that's coming in. You know, we're in an environment going forward. And again, this isn't about the headlines. This is creating and understanding your own headline. It's unlikely in the next six months that you're going to see movie theaters back to what they used to be, where, you know, there's two, 300 people in there going to watch a movie because social distancing won't permit that. So traditional distributions through movie theatres, which has been how new movies come out, is going to struggle in the new environment. And that's why you know a lot of the production companies are really thinking, like Disney's good, it's got its own distribution channel with online. Yep. And Netflix is perfectly positioned to capitalise on that. And investors know and understand that. we we'll have just linked the dots for people right now. You're not gonna be going to the movie theatre en masse. You might get a gold class, in which case it to be 12 or 15 of you or 16 of you sitting in there, but there's not gonna be 200 people. And movies are a mainstream, hundreds, millions of box office receipts every weekend and that's killed it. So Netflix is perfectly positioned. That's its narrative, that's where it's going to be in the future. And I think that's a really good example
1: because that draws from Netflix's fundamentals, mm. what they call businesses, yeah. and it also draws upon the environment they're that in. Now, that's not trading headline to headline, that's making use of the current situation that we're in,
0: that we've yeah. seen for the last couple of months. A really good example. Thank you. Well I think that's what we call a macro view so sure. it's we're looking at something from a pure economics point of view and, you know i don't know about you but obviously being english and he's also from just down the road from where i'm from huge ricky gervais fan so there's been tons of <laughs> it you know, you've got afterlife and, and and uh and so on on there so anyway you know netflix is a good example of that again in the retail environment where people are struggling Um, You know, we've talked after pay, we won't talk about it now because we cover that most weeks, but... It wouldn't be a podcast unless we at least mentioned it, We've mentioned it. So we've ticked our box on it and there's a business that, at least for the foreseeable, is likely to be a bigger player in the future. Um, You know, if we look at um, the likes of Amazon, um, you know, people's shopping habits have changed and this isn't breaking news. We could have had this conversation 10 years ago. Here's something interesting. Amazon was founded in, I was in 1997. Okay. And look at the scale and size of its business. Um, I think uh, 2018, get this, I think it spent over $21 billion just on distribution costs and post for its sales for Amazon Prime. $21 billion it paid in post sales. So you look at the scale of that business, and the reason it's worked is because they've recognized what people want. Now their cost base is a fraction of Macy's or Maya because they don't need to be in a shopping centre. They're in some rural area somewhere where land is cheap. You can put in an enormous warehouse, employ people at 15 bucks an hour and serve in city rates and they can provide their customers with uh, with the convenience of not having to go there. And again, these are why these companies have performed so well. And look, there are a lot of future uh, visionaries out there. I mean, obviously, Jeff Bezos uh, being Amazon is, is at the zenith of that. But if you go back a half generation, people like Steve Jobs, they've seen the future in advance and really created it. And investing is a wonderful thing because you can do the same thing for your portfolio too. You can create your future in advance by planning out right now what sort of stocks that you want to hold and more importantly, the reasons that you want to hold them. You know, owning stocks for the basis of, oh, it gives me diversification from a risk management perspective is a very bad reason to own stocks just for the sake of it. If you're thinking that, go buy some Telstra and AMP and swap them in your portfolio to give you some diversification (laughs) too. The reality is, you need to have a fairly focused portfolio, um, but you can then shape and sculpt that portfolio to reflect what you view it. So, if you believe that technology is going to be an increasing part of the future, don't worry about spinning the chocolate wheel and trying to buy the right technology stock. If you and, and this is such a macro view, and if you set anybody down, my father included, which is usually one of my litmus tests for my crazy strategies. Sure. I so reckon this dad? and if I forget that, not sure about that. son. <laughs> I know it's, uh, I'm not on the right track. Yeah. Um, yeah, is technology going to be bigger or smaller part? And if it is, how do you get exposure to it? Now, you could try and buy the right stock, which is quite challenging. Or you could just buy the QQQ, which is the exchange-traded fund on the NASDAQ, which gives you a broad-based exposure. All of those stocks mm. in one, right? Yeah. Um, alternatively, if we're talking about the motor industry, you know, people are still going to drive around and they still do. So are you going to buy Ford or General Motors, which are just coming out of Mothball, like everybody else, and, and, and um are and, and about to report their earnings, I think, fairly shortly too? Or do you look at where the future of vehicles might be with a company like Tesla? Now, of course, Tesla's share price, if you look at the chart, Ford or General Motors versus Tesla, Tesla is like this, Ford and General Motors are like that because this one is perceived to be a bigger part of the future. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But if there's a chance of hooking our trailer onto that train as it's flying past and making money for our clients, that's what our job is. And anyone tuning into this broadcast, you know, manage your own money, shape your own view, create your own future in advance by being able to identify these bigger trends and following it through with an action step. Okay, and coming to the final parts of this
1: broadcast, Andrew, how do our everyday Aussies actually do that? I mean, how do you develop a view on something that you might not be schooled in? How do you reach out? How do you get invested? And
0: what, what would be your next steps? Look, I, I think for a lot of people, uh, we get to meet tens of thousands of people every year through, through our seminar business. A lot of people are really intimidated with this and they go, I could never do that. I could never understand what this is about. You know, I don't work in Collins Street. You know, I'm just an average Joe Bag of Donuts. How would I know how to do this? And you know something? It's actually simpler than people think. You've got to back yourself, you know, and actually take some time out to think and have a look and see what's going on, but form your own view on that. And for me, what I've always said, and I've said this for years, one of the things I love doing, especially when I travel, and obviously I haven't been able to do that for a few months now, I love walking around shopping centres uh, anywhere in the world and seeing what's going on because it gives you a really good indication of what the broader population are doing, whether they're buying or not, what they're buying or not, where they hang out, what they do. And you can make investment decisions on the back of that, that's why we've traded Lulu for great profit for our clients over the years. Um, and it's why we've avoided stepping on landmines like Macy's or Maya because you see the demise of those businesses. Um, equally, um, as I say, it's not as complex as you might think you know, take a little bit of time and go, okay, where do you see things over the next year or two going? Um, We've talked about movies. Now, for a lot of people, subliminally, they may have sort of, oh, yeah, probably going to the movies, but they haven't been able to quite link those pieces of the puzzle together to make a decision. And this is all we do is is take a sliver of information and block it out like a jigsaw puzzle, put all the pieces down, and then the decision is there. And Yes, that is a high-level skill, but don't be frightened to start. But the best advice I'd give you, rather than try and work it out on your own, Fast-track that and, and the reason why is if you try and work it out on your own it can take an awful long time and, and there's a very good chance you're going to be wrong And if you stub a toe and lose a bit of money, that's it. You're probably done on that journey Whereas if you are able to fast-track it get the right kind of information To put in a puzzle uh, or put the puzzle together for you show you what's on the box So you can see what you're aiming at all of a sudden instead of it taking you know a year or two to get up to a stage where you can make some money You can be in that space in 10 to 15 days which is what we're helping people do right now i don't mean this to be a plug for what we do but hey that's what we're talking about there are ways of fast tracking but more than anything what i'd suggest to your average person that's following this and i'd suggest this to any person no one's average i'd suggest this to any person is don't get caught up in this headline to headline stuff because there's always an agenda i'm not conspiracy theorist but whoever's written that headline has written it for a reason and that reason may not necessarily be aligned with A, fact, or B, a level of transparency or clarity in terms of their agenda. You know, you see this all sort of people talk stocks up to try and ramp it for their own purposes. Sure. So I'm going to make a really big headline now, and I can do my claim to fame at some point. Here we go. Years, right? my, my, this is what I'm saying. Here you go, Mitch. Sometime in the next 20 years, the stock market will collapse. And when it does, we've got this on record today, I can say, hey, guys, I told you. And that's about the most useless piece of information you can have right now. Having the litmus test to know where to invest over the next few months is probably significantly more valuable. So that would be my parting shot to people. Please, please be very, very careful not to get caught into those headlines, alluring as they are. And especially when you get that vortex of negativity going, oh, what's it's, a hard. Nice story? it's hard. You know, it's hard. It's see for what it really is and try and step out of it and make your own view on, okay, well, what do you think is going to be going on? What is going to be happening in the future? And you don't have to be absolutely right, but if you can get some of those broad strokes right, Netflix, Kayak, um, Tesla, yeah, tesla you're going to make a pile of cash. And if you're not sure where to start, reach out and you can hold your hand and walk you through
1: open your eyes and close your ears. I know that's a podcast we've spoken about before, but it's all the more relevant to what we're talking about here. So AB, look, thank you very much for your insight. There's a lot of good information in there and some really
0: good advice, so I do appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, much. Cheers. Well, guys, that was a long one. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you leave a rating and a review, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.